Hi guys, it's Real Talk with Tracy. What do I want to talk about today? I want to talk about how to accept the fact that people come into your life and they exit your life. And you know, you hear there's a reason and time and place for everything. I like to think of my life as a long vacation or train ride. And there's a bunch of stops that are made during that time. Sometimes people stay. Sometimes they go. Sometimes new people come on your train. And I don't think it's anything to feel bad about. I think it's just part of life. And it's sometimes very hard to accept. But now, like lately during COVID, we've had a lot of friends move. And I was telling my husband, wow, I'm really sad. You know, these friends of our these friends of ours moved out of state. And he said, hey, they just got off our train. It's okay. And I'm like, yeah, that was fun riding the train with them, wasn't it? And he's like, yeah, we had really great times with them. But you know what? We have seats open and new people will get on our train and we'll have fun with them too. And then I start thinking about loss, people I know that have died. And I was thinking about my uncle Stephen, his pictures right here in my living room. My uncle Stephen, I did not meet until I was 18 years old because... His brother, who was my biological father, left when I was an infant and moved on. And my mom was super, super, super young. And her older sister, 12 years older, that couldn't have kids, wanted me so badly. And my aunt and uncle adopted me. I do a podcast about this. It was kept a family secret, so I didn't find out any of this till I was 12. So when I was 18, I get a call from Naomi, who is my uncle and biological dad's sister. And she found me, and it was really nice, and she introduced me to the whole family. And when I met my biological dad at the same time, I met his brother, who I was really excited about because Uncle Stephen was dynamic, accomplished, smart. He kind of looked like George Hamilton. He was funny. Um, he was just a very vibrant, unique, animal-loving like me, individual, passionate about life and he wound up getting brain cancer and one day he was throwing the toy for his cat because his cat would fetch a toy I didn't even know they do that and as the little ball or the little fluffy round thing was rolling it would disappear and then it would reappear and he was getting blind spots and he went and got his eyes checked and his eyes were fine. So they sent him to a doctor and he found out that he had a brain tumor. In the beginning, they thought it was something that wasn't that serious. It turned out to be cancer. And it was the real bad kind of cancer that had spread kind of like an octopus through his brain. They weren't able to do a surgery to remove it. He could only have chemo and radiation, and he got very, very ill. He lived in Sherman Oaks, and I lived, I'm trying to think at that time, yeah, I was up here. I was in Santa Clarita, and he didn't have any other relatives uh, besides my half-sister that were local in town. Everybody was out of state. Now, he had a ton of friends. And he had been married and divorced a couple times. No kids. And I really adored my Uncle Stephen. My Uncle Stephen, in some ways, was very kind of, you know, somewhat of a narcissist. 
very concerned about, I remember at my grandma's funeral, he criticized me for wearing a pant suit instead of a dress. So he was very fashion focused. <laughs> he ran with this group of people that had a lot of money. He did a lot of charity work, but it was like him on the red carpet with all sorts of movie stars, that kind of charity work. They would do things for a charity, but it, you know, they would have the big dinner and the big red carpet. And I had pictures of him. Oh my God. There was pictures of him with Brooke Shields. I had pictures of him with Gloria Allred. I had pictures of him with so many different movie stars. And this was his life. And I really wished that he would reach out more, but I know that he was busy and he gets brain cancer. And I feel terrible because about seven years before that, I had a vision of him in bed dying and me sitting next to his bed holding his hand and him telling me you know he was sorry that we didn't spend more time together he was telling me how much he loved me this was all like a vision I had and when I say a vision it wasn't a dream like I was sleeping it was a thought and it was a thought that came back and back and back really strong and I felt terribly guilty when he actually got cancer. I didn't wish it on, on him. I just somehow had a knowing it was coming, which was horrible. And I said to my husband, you know, I want to try to be as helpful as I can because everybody else lives like a plane flight away. And my husband was very understanding. And I spent a lot of time with my uncle and You know, I sat there next to him, reading to him. We would have all sorts of talks. He started smoking at the end because he was very nervous. I remember being like two little sand crabs on the ground because he couldn't walk anymore. And he would be crawling over to his slider in his apartment to open it up so he could smoke on the balcony. And I'd say, you know let's do races like two little crabs in the sand, you know, and we'd be on the floor together and I wouldn't be smoking, but just trying to make everything kind of light hearted and just spend time together. I, I just, I felt so helpless and hopeless. Like what can I possibly do? I can't fix this. And I said to him, you know, what is it I could do? What do you want? And he said, you know what? You're spending time with me and that's the best thing that anybody can do for me. And it was really sad because my cousins, who had been in his life, his entire life, who he had done so much for, they were nowhere to be found. Um, they weren't coming to see him. And he kept asking me, where are they? Why aren't they coming to visit me? I don't understand. You know, I've known them since they were born, you know, his sister's kids. They're not coming. Why aren't they coming? And he was so sad. And they pretty much blew him off. It's like, ooh, we don't want to see him now that he doesn't look that good. And it's like, you know what? Wake the hell up, people. This has nothing to do with how he looks. This is a person who loved you your whole life, who did so many things for you guys. You were lucky enough to have him since you were little. I only met him when I was 18. So they had so much more time with him. But yet at the end, they weren't around. And um, I come from a Jewish family. Um, I've accepted Christ as my savior. So I am also, uh, I consider myself a Jewish Christian. And he would ask me, you know, what do you think? What do you think happens? And I, I said, well, I think that you're going to be an angel on the other side and, you know, you're going to watch over the whole family because he knew he was terminal. And, you know, he started asking me about my religion and I was telling him, you know, about Christ and about, you know, how I felt and this and that. And he was really like into spiritual things like crystals. He would be like more into like fortune tellers and that kind of stuff. And I remember calling over there when my aunt was in town and her 
laying into me, screaming at me, why would you be bringing up Christ? Why would you be bringing up your religion? Why are you trying to like throw this down my brother's throat? That wasn't it at all. But he just asked me how I felt and what I believed. And I didn't go into the whole, oh, if you don't do it, you know, you're going to rot in hell. You know, I didn't go into any of that. Um, you know, which I know some Christians do. I didn't, I didn't do that. Um, I think that we all move on. We're spiritual beings. Um, I do believe that Christ died for me and whether he's offering me heaven or nothing, I believed in him before I knew about eternal life. I have a strong belief in God. And then when I went to Israel and I got to touch the stone where they laid Christ's body in Israel, I had just a flooding of just incredible feelings of being so close to God and wound up coming back and getting baptized. But I respect everybody for their beliefs. And some people believe in reincarnation. Um, after Stephen died, I had this hummingbird that would come to my window. It would seem like it was all the time. And, you know, there's no hummingbird, uh, sugar water or anything out there. It would just come to the window and it would kind of hover. And I would say, Uncle Stephen, is it you? Is it you, Uncle Stephen? And I kind of felt like maybe when he passed... Maybe that's what happens. They get to kind of get inside of a bird and come visit us. I don't know. Taking a sip of tea. But I can tell you, knowing him was a wonderful treat. He would spin a story like you could not believe. He had the gift of gab. I would love to just listen to him talk. He was so dynamic and he was so much fun and we got so close and it was bittersweet because as we grew closer and closer, he was sicker and sicker and sicker and he eventually passed away. Um, My aunts, which don't mix those up with my mother and her sister because that's the other side of the family, but these aunts on my biological dad's side of the family, the whole time we're like really grateful. Oh my God, Tracy, we're so happy that you keep going over to Uncle Stevens and and you're kind of like watching over him. And, you know, he had these great Filipino uh, caretakers and, you know, I'd kind of like, you know, just kind of check up a little bit, make sure, you know, that everything's going okay with them and, he really liked In-N-Out Burger, so I would be bringing him burgers all the time, and a few times I'd stay over at night because he couldn't sleep, so he would be laying in bed, and he'd be like, can you rub my head like my mom used to when I was a kid? And I'm like, yeah, and I'd stay up almost all night and like rub his head, and I was trying to help him through the process, really, of his passing. Um, my uncle had, I think, five homes. And he had some really expensive art. One of the pieces of art was a Bill Mack. And I remember it's worth about 35,000. He asked me, you know, what do you think I should do with that? I said, you know what, Uncle Stephen, these are your things. I think you should make the decision of what you want to do. And just do what you want to do. I never asked him, you know, can I have this? Can I have that? Um, Because that's not why I was there. I wasn't there for stuff. I was there just to be with my uncle. So as it got closer to the end, and he wanted to include me on everything, my aunts were really pressing me out. They didn't want me around. They didn't want me anywhere near him. I think they were really concerned that maybe I was going to get something in the will. And they would call and say, well, you're just a niece, you know, we're going to have brother, sister time. You're not invited, you know, 
I remember one of his sisters coming out and two days later after she came out, I went to the apartment and I noticed there was all these, um, what do you call it? Like hooks on the walls where pictures were hanging, but there was no pictures, but there was like all these hooks. And I said to the caretaker, wasn't there some pictures here? Wasn't there something? She says, oh, your aunt came in and they just started taking things off the walls and packing them up and shipping them back to where they live. So he wasn't even dead yet. And they were taking things out of his apartment and off the walls as he lays there dying in bed. Those fucking vultures. And I say that too, because when he died, he had 50 something years worth of photographs. You know what my aunt did with them? They got thrown away. So her brother became more like an ATM machine and it really made me angry. She was really nasty to me. He gave me He gave all of his nieces and nephews $10,000, but he left me some artwork, which I really appreciate and love. I really believe that maybe he was going to leave me more, but they made sure that didn't happen because it was almost impossible to get around him to see him towards the end. They made it very, very, very difficult. I remember going over to see him and I see his two sisters And they're holding hands and they're literally skipping down the street. Like you would see three-year-olds, like at a park, two little girls like skipping down the street. So happy because they're going to get a huge windfall of cash. And it was really, really sad. You know, you really get to know people and see people when someone else is sick. I remember going to the funeral And I'm in a limo with all my cousins. And they're talking about all sorts of bullshit and laughing and joking. And I am like, I cannot believe them. Don't they understand that we're at a funeral? It's like, what the hell is wrong with these people? We get there. I wanted to see his body. I wanted to see his body because I really needed to know it was real. I couldn't take it in that he really died. And... I asked one of my cousins, who, by the way, is a big, you know, African game hunter where he goes to Africa and kills a poor defenseless, defenseless animal, defenseless animal, you know, and takes a picture of it. He's one of those kind of dudes, you know, real egotistical. So he was like, "Ooh, I don't want to see him like that. This is the same person who would not come visit him. This was the same person that my uncle probably 10 times had said to me, why don't they love me anymore? Why aren't they coming to see me? I don't understand why they don't care about me. And he was so grateful that I was there. And he really, really saw and got to know who I was during that time. And I remember him looking at me and my husband and saying, why don't I have what you have? You have such a great marriage. Why, why don't I have what you have? I'm dying and I don't have anybody special. And I said, you know, Uncle Stephen, you had so many women in your life and you were so particular and so picky. You know, if there was like one dimple of cellulite, you know, he was out of there. Um, I said, my husband and I accept each other with all of our flaws And we just love each other. And we don't expect each other to be perfect or to look perfect or to act perfect. And it was really sad because he didn't have his one special person that he really wanted that you want sitting next to you, you know. Um, But he had a lot of friends. He had so many friends. He had so many people coming to his funeral. Um, I went to see his body and I went to kind of like reach out for the rabbi because I needed comfort. And the rabbi's like, don't touch me. 
So I guess, I, I don't know how, how much I know about the Jewish religion, but um, the rabbi was not allowed to be touched. So I saw him, I'm crying, I'm a crying, blubbering idiot. And the whole family section's already taken up. So I try to sit in the family section, which in the Jewish religion, I guess, we're supposed to sit behind a curtain. Okay, nobody made room for my husband and I. So I'm not going to sit separate from my husband. So I sat in the regular area, which was right in front of his coffin. And I cried uncontrollably. I mean, I could not stop through the whole thing. Um, it was really hard. You know, it was hard when he left my train. And I have his picture. And I talk to him sometimes. And I hope he could hear me. Um, I think he would be really saddened by the way the family broke up, his side of the family after this. Um, I think he would be saddened that as he lay in a coma, um, they come in, I think for two or three weekends and just strip the apartment clean of all the expensive stuff. Oh, there was letters, I think from President Roosevelt or something to my grandmother, uh, that were behind glass and all these things that they thought were of value and they just took them. He had a secretary who he was really close with and he, he had for a while, like the office was out of his home and she was a very nice woman. And my aunt went to her and said, if there's anything you want, let me know. So he had a beautiful glass collection like blown glass, art glass with like little things inside, like fishes and things like that. I'm sure you've seen these round blown glass. So one of his had um, a dandelion in it. And it was a very inexpensive thing. It wasn't an expensive thing. So his, his secretary said, you know, I would love to have this. And she looked at her and put her hand on it and said, nope, that's mine. She wanted everything. Mine, me, 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 me. Yep. Huh? You gonna sing too? That's my dog. So anyway, um, I am lucky for the time he was on my train. And that's what happened. My aunt, that was completely greedy, Never talked to her brother, who was my biological father, again. Everybody was worried that somebody else would get five cents more than the next person. It was really sad. I got a Robert Hopp, which is an artist he loved. I'm looking at it right now. And I got some bronzes. And I got some other art from him. I got a beautiful Tiffany Hart that his sister, one of the, 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 the better sister, that was nicer, sent me. She said, you know, you were really Stephen's heart and he would love to have, you know, love to, for you to have this. And actually, Gloria Allred was actually, they were really good friends. And so I had met her a couple times and she was really wonderful. And I just, I just decided I would send it to her because I wanted her to have it. So I sent it on to her, the Tiffany Hart and that's about it. He got off my train. He got off my train the same day my half-sister got married, which is so wild how people, these events come in like clusters. Have you noticed that? Anyway, so I just wanted to give a little information about the view of your life, about people coming in and out. All we could do is really cherish those that we've had in our life. I keep a picture up of him. Yes, handsome uncle, I'm looking at you right now. Oh, he's, I hear him say, tell him about the bird. Tell him about the bird. He had this parrot. Oh my God, this thing was huge. He got this parrot from this woman. And this parrot like bit into all of his cabinets it went into the washing machine when the washing machine was off and like actually took chunks out of the washing machine. So when 
My uncle Stephen went to wash his clothes and took them out. There was holes everywhere. (laughs) It was hysterical. So anyways, I had a lot of great times with him. And I still really love him a lot. And I'm sad that he's not here to share my life anymore. But he got off my train. I'm hoping my train goes a lot longer, guys. Maybe another 25, 30 years if I'm lucky. And the one person I want to make sure stays on the train with me is my husband. So, God willing, that'll happen. Anyway, guys, thank you for sharing my moments with me. I really appreciate it. I have listeners now literally all over the world. It's amazing. I open it up in the morning and I look and it's like, oh, Israel's on here. Jordan's on here. Denmark. Germany. Lebanon, the UK, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So it makes me feel really good sending love out to you guys. And thank you again. I've done about 24 podcasts now. So feel free if you're enjoying it to listen to more. This is Hi Guys, Real Talk with Tracy. Bye-bye. guys, it's Real Talk with Tracy. What do I want to talk about today? I want to talk about how to accept the fact that people come into your life and they exit your life. And you know, you hear there's a reason and time and place for everything. I like to think of my life as a long vacation or train ride. And there's a bunch of stops that are made during that time. Sometimes people stay. Sometimes they go. Sometimes new people come on your train. And I don't think it's anything to feel bad about. I think it's just part of life. And it's sometimes very hard to accept But now, like lately during COVID, we've had a lot of friends move. And I was telling my husband, wow, I'm really sad. You know, these friends of of ours moved out of state. And he said, hey, they just got off our train. It's okay. And I'm like, yeah, that was fun riding the train with them, wasn't it? And he's like, yeah, we had really great times with them. But you know what? We have seats open and new people will get on our train. And we'll have fun with them too. And then I start thinking about loss, people I know that have died. And I was thinking about my uncle Stephen, his pictures right here in my living room. My uncle Stephen, I did not meet until I was 18 years old because his brother, who was my biological father, left when I was an infant and moved on. And my mom was super, super, super young. And her older sister, 12 years older, that couldn't have kids, wanted me so badly. And my aunt and uncle adopted me. I do a podcast about this. It was kept a family secret. So I didn't find out any of this till I was 12. So when I was 18, I get a call from Naomi, who is my uncle and biological dad's sister. And she found me, and it was really nice, and she introduced me to the whole family. And when I met my biological dad, at the same time, I met his brother, who I was really excited about, because Uncle Stephen was dynamic accomplished, smart. He kind of looked like George Hamilton. He was funny. Um, he was just a very vibrant, unique, animal-loving like me, individual, passionate about life. And he wound up getting brain cancer. And one day... He was throwing the toy for his cat because his cat would fetch a toy. I didn't even know they do that. And as the little ball or the little fluffy round thing was rolling, 
it would disappear. And then it would reappear. And he was getting blind spots. And he went and got his eyes checked. And his eyes were fine. So they sent him to a doctor. And he found out that he had a brain tumor. In the beginning, they thought it was something that wasn't that serious. It turned out to be cancer. And it was the real bad kind of cancer that had spread kind of like an octopus through his brain. They weren't able to do a surgery to remove it. He could only have chemo and radiation. And he got very, very ill. He lived in Sherman Oaks and I lived, I'm trying to think at that time. Yeah, I was up here. I was in Santa Clarita and he didn't have any other relatives uh, besides my half-sister that were local in town. Everybody was out of state. Now he had a ton of friends and he had been married and divorced a couple times. No kids. And I really adored my Uncle Stephen. My Uncle Stephen in some ways was very kind of, you know, somewhat of a narcissist, very concerned about, I remember at my grandma's funeral, he criticized me for wearing a pant suit instead of a dress. So he was very fashion focused. <laughs> he ran with this group of people that had a lot of money. He did a lot of charity work, but it was like him on the red carpet with all sorts of movie stars, that kind of charity work. They would do things for a charity, but it, you know, they would have the big dinner and the big red carpet. And I had pictures of him. Oh my God. There was pictures of him with Brooke Shields. I had pictures of him with Gloria Allred. I had pictures of him with so many different movie stars. And this was his life. And I really wished that he would reach out more, but I know that he was busy and he gets brain cancer. And I feel terrible because about seven years before that, I had a vision of him in bed dying and me sitting next to his bed, holding his hand. And him telling me, you know, he was sorry that we didn't spend more time together. He was telling me how much he loved me. This was all like a vision I had. And when I say a vision, it wasn't a dream like I was sleeping. It was a thought. And it was a thought that came back and back and back really strong. And I felt terribly guilty when he actually got cancer. I didn't wish it on, on him. I just somehow had a knowing it was coming, which was horrible. And I said to my husband, you know, I want to try to be as helpful as I can because everybody else lives like a plane flight away. And my husband was very understanding. And I spent a lot of time with my uncle and, you know, I sat there next to him, reading to him. We would have all sorts of talks he started smoking at the end because he was very nervous. I remember being like two little sand crabs on the ground because he couldn't walk anymore. And he would be crawling over to his slider in his apartment to open it up so he could smoke on the balcony. And I'd say, you know, let's do races like two little crabs in the sand, you know, and we'd be on the floor together and I wouldn't be smoking, but just trying to make everything kind of lighthearted and just spend time together. I, I just, I felt so helpless and hopeless. Like, what can I possibly do? I can't fix this. And I said to him, you know, what is it I could do? What do you want? And he said, you know what? You're spending time with me and that's the best thing that anybody can do for me. And it was really sad because... My cousins, who had been in his life, his entire life, who he had done so much for, they were nowhere to be found. Um, they weren't coming to see him. And he kept asking me, where are they? Why aren't they coming to visit me? I don't understand. You know, I've known them since they were born, you know, his sister's kids. They're not coming. Why aren't they coming? And he was so sad. 
and they pretty much blew him off. It's like, ooh, we don't want to see him now that he doesn't look that good. And it's like, you know what? Wake the hell up, people. This has nothing to do with how he looks. This is a person who loved you your whole life, who did so many things for you guys. You were lucky enough to have him since you were little. I only met him when I was 18. So they had so much more time with him. But yet at the end, they weren't around. And um, I come from a Jewish family. Um, I've accepted Christ as my savior. So I am also, I consider myself a Jewish Christian. And he would ask me, you know, what do you think? What do you think happens? And I, I said, well, I think that you're going to be an angel on the other side and, you know, you're going to watch over the whole family because he knew he was terminal. And, you know, he started asking me about my religion and I was telling him, you know, about Christ and about, you know, how I felt and this and that. And he was really like into spiritual things like crystals. He would be like more into like fortune tellers and that kind of stuff. And I remember calling over there when my aunt was in town and her laying into me, screaming at me, why would you be bringing up Christ? Why would you be bringing up your religion? Why are you trying to like throw this down my brother's throat? That wasn't it at all. But he just asked me how I felt and what I believed. And I didn't go into the whole, oh, if you don't do it, you know, you're going to rot in hell. You know, I didn't go into any of that. Um, you know, which I know some Christians do. I didn't, I didn't do that. Um, I think that we all move on. We're spiritual beings. Um, I do believe that Christ died for me and whether he's offering me heaven or nothing, I believed in him before I knew about eternal life. I have a strong belief in God. And then when I went to Israel and I got to touch the stone where they laid Christ's body in Israel, I had just a flooding of just incredible feelings of being so close to God and wound up coming back and getting baptized. But I respect everybody for their beliefs. And some people believe in reincarnation. Um, after Stephen died, I had this hummingbird that would come to my window. It would seem like it was all the time. And, you know, there's no hummingbird, uh, sugar water or anything out there. It would just come to the window and it would kind of hover. And I would say, Uncle Stephen, is it you? Is it you, Uncle Stephen? And I kind of felt like maybe when he passed... Maybe that's what happens. They get to kind of get inside of a bird and come visit us. I don't know. Ugh. Taking a sip of tea. But I can tell you, knowing him was a wonderful treat. He would spin a story like you could not believe. He had the gift of gab. I would love to just listen to him talk. He was so dynamic and he was so much fun and we got so close and it was bittersweet because as we grew closer and closer, he was sicker and sicker and sicker and he eventually passed away. Um, my aunts, which don't mix those up with my mother and her sister because that's the other side of the family, but these aunts on my biological dad's side of the family, the whole time we're like really grateful. Oh my God, Tracy, we're so happy that you keep going over to Uncle Stevens and, you, and you're kind of like watching over him. And, you know, he had these great Filipino uh, caretakers and, you know, I'd kind of like, you know, just kind of check up a little bit, make sure, you know, that everything's going okay with them and, he really liked In-N-Out Burger, so I'd be bringing him burgers all the time, and a few times I'd stay over at night because he couldn't sleep, so he would be laying in bed, and he'd be like, can you rub my head like my mom used to when I was a kid? And I'm like, yeah, 
and I'd stay up almost all night and like rub his head. And I was trying to help him through the process really of his passing. Um, my uncle had, I think five homes and he had some really expensive art. One of the pieces of art was a Bill Mack. And I remember it's worth about 35,000. He asked me, you know, what do you think I should do with that? I said, you know what, Uncle Stephen, these are your things. I think you should make the decision of what you want to do um, and just do what you want to do. I never asked him, you know, can I have this? Can I have that? Um, because that's not why I was there. I wasn't there for stuff. I was there just to be with my uncle. So as it got closer to the end... And he wanted to include me on everything. My aunts were really pressing me out. They didn't want me around. They didn't want me anywhere near him. I think they were really concerned that maybe I was going to get something in the will. And they would call and say, well, you're just a niece. You know, we're going to have brother-sister time. You're not invited, you know. I remember one of his sisters coming out. And two days later after she came out, I went to the apartment and I noticed there was all these, um, what do you call it? Like hooks on the walls where pictures were hanging, but there was no pictures, but there was like all these hooks. And I said to the caretaker, wasn't there some pictures here? Wasn't there something? She says, oh, your aunt came in and they just started taking things off the walls and packing them up and shipping them back to where they live. So he wasn't even dead yet. And they were taking things out of his apartment and off the walls as he lays there dying in bed. Those fucking vultures. And I say that too because when he died, he had... 50 something years worth of photographs. You know what my aunt did with them? They got thrown away. So her brother became more like an ATM machine and it really made me angry. She was really nasty to me. He gave me, he gave all of his nieces and nephews $10,000, but he left me some artwork, which I really appreciate and love. I really believe that maybe he was going to leave me more, but they made sure that didn't happen because it was almost impossible to get around him to see him towards the end. They made it very, very, very difficult. I remember going over to see him and I see his two sisters and they're holding hands and they're literally skipping down the street like you would see three-year-olds like at a park. Two little girls like skipping down the street. So happy because they're going to get a huge windfall of cash. And it was really, really sad. You know, you really get to know people and see people when someone else is sick. I remember going to the funeral and I'm in a limo with all my cousins. And they're talking about all sorts of bullshit and laughing and joking and I am like, I cannot believe them. Don't they understand that we're at a funeral? It's like, what the hell is wrong with these people? We get there. I wanted to see his body. I wanted to see his body because I really needed to know it was real. I couldn't take it in that he really died. And I asked one of my cousins, who, by the way, is a big, you know, African game hunter where he goes to Africa and kills a poor defenseless, defenseless animal, defenseless blah, animal, you know, and takes a picture of it. He's one of those kind of dudes, you know, real egotistical. So he was like, "Ooh, I don't want to see him like that. This is the same person who would not come visit him. This was the same person that my uncle probably 10 times had said to me, why don't they love me anymore? Why aren't they coming to see me? I don't understand why they don't care about me. 
And he was so grateful that I was there. And he really, really saw and got to know who I was during that time. And I remember him looking at me and my husband and saying, why don't I have what you have? You have such a great marriage. Why, why don't I have what you have? I'm dying and I don't have anybody special. And I said, you know, Uncle Stephen, you had so many women in your life and you were so particular and so picky. You know, if there was like one dimple of cellulite, you know, he was out of there. Um, I said, my husband and I accept each other with all of our flaws and we just love each other. And we don't expect each other to be perfect or to look perfect or to act perfect. And it was really sad because he didn't have his one special person that he really wanted that you want sitting next to you, you know. Um, But he had a lot of friends. He had so many friends. He had so many people coming to his funeral. Um, I went to see his body. And I went to kind of like reach out for the rabbi because I needed comfort. And the rabbi's like, don't touch me. So I guess, I, I don't know how, how much I know about the Jewish religion, but um, the rabbi was not allowed to be touched. So I saw him. I'm crying. I'm a crying, blubbering idiot. And the whole family section's already taken up. So I try to sit in the family section, which in the Jewish religion, I guess, we're supposed to sit behind a curtain. Okay, nobody made room for my husband and I. So I'm not going to sit separate from my husband. So I sat in the regular area, which was right in front of his coffin. And I cried uncontrollably. I mean, I could not stop through the whole thing. Um, it was really hard. You know, it was hard when he left my train. And I have his picture, and I talk to him sometimes, and I hope he could hear me. Um, I think he would be really saddened by the way the family broke up, his side of the family after this. Um, I think he would be saddened that as he lay in a coma, Um, they come in, I think for two or three weekends and just strip the apartment clean of all the expensive stuff. Uh, there was letters, I think from President Roosevelt or something to my grandmother, uh, that were behind glass and all these things that they thought were of value and they just took them. He had a secretary who he was really close with and he, he had for a while, like the office was out of his home and she was a very nice woman. And my aunt went to her and said, if there's anything you want, let me know. So he had a beautiful glass collection, like blown glass, art glass with like little things inside, like fishes and things like that. I'm sure you've seen these round blown glass. So one of his had, um, a dandelion in it. And it was a very inexpensive thing. It wasn't an expensive thing. So his his secretary said, you know, I would love to have this. And she looked at her and put her hand on it and said, nope, that's mine. She wanted everything. Mine, me, 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 me. Yep. Huh? You going to sing too? That's my dog. So anyway... Um, I am lucky for the time he was on my train and that's what happened. My aunt that was completely greedy, never talked to her brother who was my biological father again. Everybody was worried that somebody else would get five cents more than the next person. It was really sad. I got a Robert Hopp which is an artist he loved. I'm looking at it right now and I got some bronzes and I got some other art from him. I got a beautiful Tiffany heart that his sister, one of the the better sister that was nicer, sent me. She said, you know, you were really Stephen's heart and he would love to have, you know, love for you to have this. And 
actually Gloria Allred was actually, they were really good friends. And so I had met her a couple times and she was really wonderful. And I just, I just decided I would send it to her because I wanted her to have it. So I sent it on to her, the Tiffany Hart. And that's about it. He got off my train. He got off my train the same day my half-sister got married, which is so wild how people, these events come in like clusters. Have you noticed that? Anyway, so I just wanted to give a little information about the view of your life, about people coming in and out. All we could do is really cherish those that we've had in our life. I keep a picture up of him. Yes, handsome uncle, I'm looking at you right now. Oh, he's, I hear him say, tell him about the bird. Tell him about the bird. He had this parrot. Oh my God, this thing was huge. He got this parrot from this woman. And this parrot like bit into all of his cabinets. It went into the washing machine when the washing machine was off and like actually took chunks out of the washing machine. So when my uncle Stephen went to wash his clothes and took them out, there was holes everywhere. (laughs) It was hysterical. So anyways, I had a lot of great times with him and I still really love him a lot. And I'm sad that he's not here to share my life anymore, but he got off my train. I'm hoping my train goes a lot longer, guys, maybe another 25, 30 years if I'm lucky. And the one person I want to make sure stays on the train with me is my husband. So God willing, that'll happen. Anyway, guys, thank you for sharing my moments with me. I really appreciate it. I have listeners now literally all over the world. It's amazing. I open it up in the morning and I look and it's like, oh, Israel's on here, Jordan's on here, Denmark, Germany, Lebanon, the UK. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So it makes me feel really good. Sending love out to you guys and thank you again. I've done about 24 podcasts now. So feel free if you're enjoying it to listen to more. This is Hi Guys. Real talk with Tracy. Bye-bye.